Hello, it's Christopher Walken here. I want to thank Tara for contributing to the Indiegogo campaign under personalized thanks for Caustic Soda. Kevin, Christopher Walken's personal favorite podcast ever. Kevin, I gotta tell you, it wasn't Tara. It was Nora, and she wanted us to thank Tara for introducing her Guys, to Caustic Soda. fellas. Stop talking like me, the real Christopher Walken. I don't care about Tara or Nora. I'm just here to say, wow, you guys are terrible. Yeah. I've been told that I'm a 10 on the Scoville scale. I'm Kevin Leeson. Orange, you glad I didn't say ischemic colitis? I'm Torin Atkinson. Ooh, mommy, this ice cream is the breast. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda. Bam! Welcome to part one of our five-part series, The Five Senses. It's going to be more than five parts. That's right. Because we're be... doing the six senses. Oh, we're doing yeah. additional senses. Nice. I would, so we'll get Haley Joel Osmond in as our guest expert for yep. that sixth episode. We're also doing it so we can call it a sexology. I can uh, taste people. <laughs> wow. I, I taste, I dead, taste people. dead people. <laughs> well, that's uh, the nice intro, the lead in for today's topic. Part one, taste. It's from the Latin taxare, which means to evaluate or handle. Taxare, all right. Mm-hmm. A uh, fear of taste is gumophobia or gumatophobia. Gumatophobia. Mm-hmm. How do you spell that? G-U-M? G-E-U-M. G-E-U-M. Gum. Taste, gustatory perception or gustation, is the sensory impression of food or other substances on the tongue and is one of the five traditional senses. Mm-hmm. Taste is the sensation produced when a substance in the mouth reacts chemically with taste receptor cells located on taste buds. The tongue is covered with thousands of bumps called papillae, Papillae. which are easily visible to the naked eye. And they look look like butterflies. I thought they looked like little dogs. (laughs) They look like Dustin Hoffman. Why do they look like Dustin Hoffman? Because he's in that movie about papillae. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Him and uh, uh, C. McQueen. Within each papilla are hundreds of taste buds. We have between 2,000 and 5,000 taste buds. Each taste bud contains 50 to 100 taste receptor cells. So in each little bump on my tongue... That's right. There's how many taste buds? Uh, I thought each bump was a bud. You're telling me that's not true. No, each bump is a papillae. Okay, and each papillae has how many buds? Up to hundreds of buds. Okay. And each bud has hundreds of, between 50 and 100 taste receptor cells. Are there any taste buddy comedies? <laughs> taste buddies? Taste buddies. <laughs> what does that mean? It's like, well, you got, you got buds on your, you got taste buds. Mm, they just sit there and they, oh, they, they just lick each other. Hey, bud. It is like, taste buddies. Mm, you taste like tobacco today. I think I just came up with a new idea for a cartoon series. I've, taste buddies. <laughs> I have had a buddy that I have occasionally gotten together and tasted each other. So, mm. Ooh, tasted each other. Nice. Mm, okay, ew. great. Uh, the Glad sense- I wasn't there. <laughs> Do you uh, put on a blindfold and then guess which part of the body you're tasting? <laughs> One of us did. <laughs> God. <laughs> the sensation of taste can be categorized into five basic tastes. Sweetness, sourness, saltiness, bitterness, and umami. Umami. Sweet, umami, and bitter tastes are triggered by the binding of molecules to G-protein coupled receptors. When alkali metal or hydrogen ions are perceived by taste buds, they give a saltiness and a sour taste res- respectively. 
Okay. The basic tastes contribute only partially to the sensation and flavor of food in the mouth. Other factors include smell, texture, Mm -hmm. temperature, and coolness, such as by menthol, or hotness, otherwise known as pungency. Pungency is Mm -hmm. hotness. Yeah, like I thought pungency was just like smell. Something smells pungent. Uh, that means it's like strong and yeah, stinky. but they they're they're tied into each other. Okay, smell and taste are very closely linked, but I'm focusing on taste. In this now episode. I heard some crazy theory recently that the fizziness that you when you drink a pop uh-huh. that's a separate that's a separate sensation uh, from any of the other sweets and salts and well, uh, I I, th- I feel like that would fall under the texture category, perhaps yeah, that true. isn't necessarily one of the like traditional tastes. I'm willing to leave it there. Pungency is the condition of having a strong, sharp smell or taste that is often so strong it is unpleasant. Right. And it's the technical term used by scientists to refer to the characteristic of food commonly referred to as spiciness okay. or hotness and sometimes heat. Also, piquantedness. Picant, picantes. <laughs> Picancy. Picancy. Picancy, uh, the Deutsch? movie you want to see. Picancy Deutsch? Uh, as, <laughs> as, I made myself laugh. <laughs> You're the only one. As taste senses both harmful and beneficial things, all basic tastes are classified as either aversive or appetitive, depending upon the effect they have on our bodies. Sorry, aversive or... Appetitive. Appetitive, okay. Uh, Sweetness helps to identify energy-rich foods, while bitterness serves as a warning sign of poisons. Yes, do not eat the bitter things. Yes, because they might be poisons. Uh, Bitter melon, for example. Mm. Beer, for example. Beer, do not drink beer. Don't drink it. it. It's bitter and bad for you. Uh, It's true. Coffee, pure yes, poison. Yes, pure. rocky from the inside out. Taste perception fades with age. People lose about half of their taste receptors by the time they turn twenty years old. Half of my taste. So I, when I was nineteen, yep, I tasted things twice as much as I do now. Uh, more or less. More or less. I mean, I think it's more like when you were five, you tasted twice as much as you did when you were twenty. Okay, which is why children hate bitter foods and love sweet foods. Yeah, and people are okay with bitter foods as they age. Hmm. Now, is this worse for smokers? You'd yes. think that somebody smoking as they grow up would would nuke way more of their flavor. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what's crazy? When you watch Top Chef or any of the things, any like reality shows or mm-hmm. anything where it's like- Cooking shows or whatnot. Shows, yep. like, at least half of the chefs smoke. Yeah. And I think that's crazy. It, it is. It is kind of crazy. But maybe there we'll get into super tasters later. Super tasters. Mm. Loss of taste and smell can also be a sign of certain degenerative diseases of the nervous system. Right. Such as Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. If you are experiencing a taste disorder, talk with your physician. So I wanted to, before we got into the meat of this episode. The umami? uh, I want to talk about umami because (laughs) before I started researching this, I I knew umami was a taste. It was a thing. But I had no idea what it was. I know know what sourness is. I know what bitterness Mm -hmm. is. I know Mm -hmm. sweet. I know salty. But you wouldn't know an umami taste if you had one. If somebody hit me in the face with an umami. (laughs) It's it's MSG. One of the five basic tastes, umami can be translated from Japanese as pleasant savory taste. Mm -hmm. Pleasant savory taste. People taste umami through receptors for glutamate. Yep. Commonly found in its salt form as the food additive monosodium glutamate. Okay. Yeah. Which everybody thought for the longest time was terrible for you. Deadly poison. Yeah. It's not, FYI. Spoiler alert. Scientists have debated whether umami was a basic taste since Kikune Akita first proposed its existence in 1908. Yeah. A long time they've been talking about it. But it wasn't until 1985 that the term umami was recognized as a scientific term to describe the taste of glutamates and nucleotides at the first Umami International Symposium. Oh, I wish it was there. <laughs> I Here, love the taste fact this. Umami or not? <laughs> that they had the first Umami Sympo- International Symposium. 
So we're what, making history today, folks. That's right. So what besides monosodium glutamate uh-huh. could I put in my mouth that I would say, ooh, that's umami? Well, it's described as a brothy or meaty taste with a long-lasting mouthwatering and coating sensation over the tongue. Okay. Its effect is to balance taste and round out overall flavor of a dish. It induces salivation and a sensation of furriness on the tongue. Furriness on the tongue. Okay, yeah. While stimulating the throat, the roof, and the back of the mouth. By itself, okay. umami is not palatable, but oh. it makes a great variety of foods pleasant, especially in the yeah. presence of a matching aroma. Glutamates have a long history in cooking. In fact, fermented fish sauces, which are rich in glutamates, were used in ancient Rome in their cooking. Fermented fish sauces. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Sounds horrible. Many humans' first encounter with umami is in breast milk. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Breast milk is rich in umami. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's why when you're sucking on the tit, you say, ooh, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's where it came from. Yes. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> not not a Japanese word, actually. Yeah. No, out. no. We, we, we retconned it yeah. so that it sounds more civilized, right? The Scoville scale is the measurement of the pungency or spicy heat of foods. Oh, is there going to be a Scoville love scale test? Yes. The uh, Scoville scale is measured in Scoville heat units, or SHUs. Oh, my God. Who is Scoville? Some guy who was a scientist and ate things. The scale is named after its creator, American pharmacist Wilbur Scoville. Wilbur. Mm -hmm. His method, devised in 1912, is known as the Scoville organoleptic test. Organoleptic. I like it. Which is a measurement dependent on the capsaicin sensitivity of testers, and so is not a precise measure method to measure capsaicinoid concentration, but it's still the standard by which spicy heat is measured. I happen to know that uh, capsicin or whatever it's called. Capsicin? Capsaicin is the the spicy that you get from peppers, Uh whereas Mm -hmm. the spicy that you get from like horseradish and hot mustard is a different chemical altogether. Yes, absolutely. That's why some people have no tolerance to one but not the other. Okay. Like and me, I cannot t- stand a capsicum spicy, yeah. but I love the horseradish. Got it. Mustard type. Mm. Got it. All right. So, Scoville scale pop quiz. Okay. All right. Do, uh, uh, is the first question as how much does it go up to? Well, there there is really no limit to it. Oh, my God. Yeah. As long as you can keep finding things that are spicy enough. Okay. The method is measuring an amount of alcohol extract of the capsaicin oil of a dried pepper. I mean, there's alcohol in, in hot peppers? Well, they use alcohol extract of capsaicin. Uh, after which a solution of sugar and water is added incrementally until the heat is barely detectable by a panel of usually five tasters. The degree of dilution is its measurement on the Scoville scale. So the I degree not by which what you just said. basically you got to water something down. You take, yeah. take something okay. and the amount that you have to water it oh, down by I see. to in order to make it uh, basically just a zero. Barely tasteable. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's that's uh, uh, how the Scoville scale works. So right? when I call up the Indian restaurant. Instead of saying mild, meaty, or spicy, I say, I want 0.0005 SCUs. SHU. SHUs. Yeah, yeah. Scoville's. Yes, and they will know what I'm talking about. That should be the standard, because it's standardized, right? All right. Here, I'm going to open up with uh, 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 the names of several kinds of peppers. Okay. And you can tell me which one is considered the world's hottest pepper. Okay. The habanero pepper, the ghost pepper, Ooh. the infinity chili. <laughs> is infinity spelled in some weird way? Nope. Spelled okay. just like infinity. Okay. The Naga Viper pepper. <laughs> oh my god. The uh the Carolina Reaper pepper or the Trinidad Moruga Scorpion pepper. Wow. Jesus Christ. Which one of those is considered the world's hottest pepper? 
Well, the only one I've heard of before was the habanero. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like it would be boring and not Moderate, important. Moderate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the viper. Uh-huh. I like the Naga Viper, because uh-huh. that makes me think of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah that's indeed. But probably the, uh, the person who discovered it might have been a D&D fan, I guess, maybe, perhaps. Gary Gygax had something to do with it. What was the death one? Death? There was no death pepper. That, that, I choose that one, then. <laughs> yeah, the, the death pepper. <laughs> the death pepper would be a d- bit of a giveaway. No, there was a ghost pepper. Ghost pepper. Okay, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, I go with Naga, Naga Viper. I gotta go with my gut on this one. That's kind of a eating joke. <laughs> it's ironic if because I, you don't like spicy things. Yeah. If I go with my gut, it's ghost pepper, but uh, I'm not sure. But I'm gonna say ghost pepper. Well, it's a bit of a trick question because at different points in time, they've all been considered the world's hottest pepper. Oh, well, there's only one way to find out. Well, now. But what's the hottest? The now? current, the current hottest pepper is the Carolina Reaper pepper. Uh-huh. Mm. In 1999, the habanero pepper was named the world's spiciest. In uh, 2007, the ghost pepper was named the world's spiciest. In, 2000, in February of 2011, the infinity chili was the world's hottest pepper for two weeks before it was knocked off by the Naga Viper pepper. Mm. So went, oh God. And then the Trinidad Maruga scorpion pepper uh, was, named the, was named the spiciest in February of 2012. And the Carolina Reaper pepper was named the spiciest in December of 2013. Who is in charge of these things and why can they not make up their fucking mind? Well, because well, they haven't tested everything. Here's what's happening is that the uh, the habanero pepper, the ghost pepper, are both naturally occurring peppers. The rest of them are hybrid peppers invented oh, by people. Uh, oh, see. I'm totally claiming victory then. Oh, my God. Frankenfood. <laughs> yeah, Frankenfood. Exactly. So this seems to be a competition that nobody really should try to be winning. Like... Mm-hmm. I flavor it's all, it's is great. It's all very manly. Listen, Tell I, that. I love spicy flavor, but mm. at a certain point it becomes spicy pain. Mm-hmm. And what's the damn point? Because the more the hottest the hotter pepper you can eat, the more manly you are. All and right. so therefore the better person. Well, let's, I, let's I reject your gender based spiciness. I didn't make it up. Scale. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about like, you know, factors of hotness then. All right. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Tight pants. If the habanero pepper has a Scoville scale rating of between 100,000 and 350,000. Okay, this is too many numbers. So I can't keep track of that. Okay. 150 to 350,000. Yeah. Uh, 100 to 350,000 Scovilles mm-hmm. uh, for a habanero pepper, which was the world's hottest pepper in 1999. Okay. Uh-huh. The current pepper, the Carolina Reaper pepper, how many Scovilles is it? 1.5 million. That's crazy. I'm going to say. Eight hundred eighty-eight thousand and one. That's very specific. How did you come up with that number? He just made up numbers. Okay, all right. It's how Torin does. All it's math. funny because that is exactly correct. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. The Carolina Reaper pepper is two point two million Scovilles. Oh my God. Wow. Two point two million Scovilles. What? Bread, is the how many habaneros can fit into a, a Carolina Reaper? Uh that is. I mean, that's. You, you guys are mathematical. That, it's oh, like you mean twenty? Oh, uh, th- it's like between ten and twenty. It's right. about it's about ten, yeah. Because like if you've got hundred to three fifty, the average is about twenty two in the middle yeah. there, and then ten times that would be two point two million. So uh, you would have to eat twenty habaneros to have the same throw up burning. That you'd have in to squish the. Or I the think spice what it means power. is you need you need twenty times as much of water to dilute to dilute right. Same. The Carolina Reaper the pepper. Carolina Reaper. Uh, bred by cultivator Ed Curry of Puckerbutt Pepper Company in Fort Mill, <laughs> South Carolina. <laughs> Puckerbutt. Yeah. Yeah. Is and that this an actual is... place or did they just make that up because of uh, No, I think that's the name of his company. The Puckerbutt Pepper Company. Right. Of, of Fort Mill, South Carolina. Okay. Puckerbutt. 
I want Pucker Butt to be a, like a place name, though. And so, therefore, when I make Taste Buddies, the cartoon, they will be living in Pucker Butt. Yeah. The ghost pepper, which is the highest Scoville rated naturally occurring pepper, not a hybrid okay. bred okay. like on a farm. And I'm totally going to bullshit here and say that's what I thought we were guessing. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. So what what do you think its Scoville rating is? I'm going to say 800, 8, 880, whatever I said before. 888-001. <laughs> that's all, folks? Uh, yeah. I'm going to say uh, 500,000. It's probably not a lot more than habanero. Oh, One million oh. Scovilles. One million Scovilles. It was the world's hottest pepper in 2007. Uh, it's it's grown in India, naturally occurs in India, and mm-hmm. it's known by the local name Boot Jalokia. Sure. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that horribly. Uh, Boot Jalokia is sometimes used by locals as a remedy for summer heat. I guess if you turn your inside sure. hotter than your outside. Yeah, you don't yeah. notice it you so don't much. Notice it so much. Well, it would make Just you pain break out into a sweat, and then the slightest breeze would cool you down. I, something like that. Uh, these peppers are often smeared on fences or incorporated in smoke bombs as a safety precaution to keep wild elephants at a distance. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Just throw a pepper at it. <clears throat> and in 2009, scientists at India's Defense Research and Development Organization announced plans to use these peppers in hand grenades as a non-lethal way to flush out terrorists. Sure. And right. patrol riders. Yeah, because they do, I think we talked about in grenades where they use mm-hmm. the, uh, the pepper sprays, basically, you know. Yeah. Capsaicin. Yeah. yeah. Nature does it again. Riot control. It's nature's natural riot control agent. The habanero chili comes from the Amazon region, and from there it was spread throughout Mexico. One domesticated habanero was found in an archaeological dig in Peru and dated to 8,500 years old. So the was oldest- Was it still good? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anybody bit into it. It was a pretty, was an aged pretty, pepper. pretty important archaeological find. I don't even want somebody just like crunching into it necessarily. But uh, wait, we, we'll get you down there. We'll rub it on your eyes and see what you think. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, so it is the oldest known domesticated pepper. Uh, oldest recorded anyway. Uh, the jalapeno pepper, uh, which even you still don't like, is between 3,500 and 8,000 Scovilles. The banana pepper is between 100 and 900 Scovilles. And the bell pepper... Zero Scovilles. It's our. Yeah, it's uh, not really very spicy. Uh, I like jalapenos. Those are good. So there are chemicals with Scoville ratings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, true or false? Mm. True or false question. True. There are chemicals with Scoville ratings. Is RTX, otherwise known as resinoferrotoxin, the hottest known thing on planet Earth? Yes or no? True. Joe? It'd be very odd if it wasn't true and you just picked something random to ask us that. Let's say that it is. Sure. I'm just bad at this quiz show thing. I know. The uh, resinoferrotoxin, or otherwise known as RTX, has a Scoville rating of 16 billion. There is not enough water in the world to dilute that down so you can't taste it. That is is not true. That's not (laughs) true. Totally totally not true. (laughs) That is totally not true. Uh, This is a naturally occurring chemical found in resin spurge, a cactus-like plant commonly found in Morocco and in northern Nigeria. do not go to Morocco. RTX is toxic and can inflict chemical burns on skin. Sure. In humans, ingestion of 40 grams or more is likely fatal. How many many grams in a teaspoon? I think, uh, well, 40 grams is 40 milliliters. So okay. if we're talking about liquid form. Uh, it's about one tenth of a can of Coke. Okay. A can of Coke is 335 milliliters. I would, uh, okay. 355, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So it's about one tenth of a can of Coke will kill you. Right. So don't get a can of Coke full of xenoferrotoxin. Or, or one tenth full. Yeah. Yeah. Pure capsaicin mm-hmm. has a Scoville rating of 16 million. Mm, okay. So still mm. a 
lot less than uh, RTX. Um, Capsaicin is present in the largest quantities in the placental tissue of the pepper. That little white part that actually holds the seeds in place. That's where you find it. There's a placental Mm -hmm. place in the pepper. Yeah, the the little white stuff that holds the the seeds in place. Uh, Birds do not respond to capsaicin or related chemicals. They're like, they don't want to give a shit. They don't give a shit. Uh, this is advantageous to the plant. You because just ignore them. Seeds. We know to respond to that. <laughs> Give him the cold shoulder. Man, he doesn't like oh. it because he's a hot pepper. Especially this, doesn't like the cold shoulder. This is spicy to you? It doesn't bother me. Uh, in 2006, it was discovered that the venom of a one particular tarantula species activates the same pathway of pain as is activated by a capsaicin. Oh, tasty. This is the first demonstrated case of a shared pathway in both plant and animal anti-mammal defense. Well, next time I have nachos, I'm going to put some spider on it. <laughs> there you go. Nice. A little tarantula with your nachos. Uh, ingested in large amounts, capsaicin can produce nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and burning diarrhea. Eye exposure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Eye exposure produces intense tearing, pain, yeah. conjunctivitis, and blepharospasm. Who hasn't Blepho- accidentally rubbed their eyes after mm-hmm. cutting peppers? Did you yeah. say blepharospasm? I did. <laughs> okay, okay. There, there's what's part a blepharospasm? The pop quiz still. What's blepharospasm? Blepharospasm is uh, when <laughs> when Bizarro from uh, Superman uh-huh. uh, is so confused not about his element that he can't even pronounce his own name anymore. Oh, okay. Okay, blepharospasm mm. is when the spiciness gets so hot that your body spasm and you throw up very far away from you. Pharospasm. There, that's my Kevin joke. <laughs> okay, you can actually look up what it means. Oh, you don't even know. No. A blepharospasm is any abnormal contraction or twitch of the eyelid. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. So it makes your eyelids twitch. Yeah. So it's, that happens uh, a lot of the, uh, with uh, some people. It's blinky. Makes you blinky. Now you know what it's called. Hey, you got a little blepharospasm going mm, on there. Yeah. Now is the time in the episode when we talk about disorders of taste. Oh, when, oh, when, when taste goes wrong. Yep. That uh, when classic. tastes attack. <laughs> Agusia. Mm-hmm. That's A-G-E-U-S-I-A. Uh-huh. U-S-I-A. U-S-I-A. The, U-S-I-A. The complete loss of taste functions of the tongue. Tissue oh. damage to the nerves that support the tongue can cause agusia. Like neurological disorders such as Bell's palsy and multiple sclerosis. This would make my mom happy if I had it because then I'd eat liver without batting an eye. Deficiency of niacin and zinc can cause problems as well as disorders of the endocrine system or can be caused by medicinal side effects from anti-rheumatic drugs. So pretty much everything can cause uh, a <laughs> loss of taste, a complete loss of taste. Yeah. yeah. Local damage and inflammation that interferes with the taste buds, such as from radiation therapy, glossitis, uh-huh. tobacco use. Oh, yeah, there you go. And dentures can also cause agusia. Oh, if you like accidentally scrape your tongue too much or something? They yeah, just keep like, right. clattering around yeah, in there yeah. and just like take all your taste buds right off. <laughs> uh, you know what? Honestly, if it's a complete lack of taste, they should call it aggy don't use ya. Well, mm-hmm. what would you call the distortion in the sense of taste then if you called it whatever you uh, said? Distortion use ya? No, it's dysgeusia. Oh, well, it's pretty close. Huh? An alteration in the sense of taste, usually a metallic taste. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like you, you, you taste like you're like licking a, you know, the, the swings, the swing set <laughs> yes, all the time. Exactly. What, what does licking the swing set taste like? Just like metal. Dysgeusia. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I know, but now I know. Now Not I know at all circular. Like. If the alteration in the sense of taste is due to gum disease, dental plaque, a medication, or a short-term condition, such mm-hmm. as a cold, 
the dysgeusia should disappear once the cause is removed. In some cases, if lesions are present on the taste pathway mm -hmm. and nerves have been damaged, the dysgeusia may be permanent. You may be always be tasting metal. Uh, imagine if everything, every time you put something in your mouth, it tasted like you're chewing on something metal. Like you're, you're like, like you're yeah. chewing tinfoil. Like tinfoil, yeah. Oh, oh, that'd be horrible. That'd be worse than no taste at all. Honestly, common causes of dysgeusia include chemotherapy, asthma treatment with albuterol, and zinc deficiency. Okay. Mm. There are many possible treatments that are effective in alleviating or terminating the, dis the symptoms of dyscusia. These include artificial saliva. Oh, I wonder what that is. Do you think that's made of like so the tears of babies or something? called drinking water. <laughs> I wonder if there's Saliva is different than water. I wonder if there's like a- Yeah, but artificial saliva. Saliva. You think there would be like a saliva donor program. And if oh, so, just where people can just sign spit up? Yeah, into spit like in a, a jar? Oh, oh yeah. God. I need, I got a dyscusia. I need some I guess if you, uh, if you had dyscusia and if, if you, unless you like drank a cup of somebody else's saliva, if that would cure you of it, even if temporarily, it would probably be worth it. You know, you're about to have a great steak and you're like, all right, give me my cup of can, spit. Can you spit in my mouth for me so I can taste this steak? Oh God, it becomes, you know what? No, you have to have other people chew it for you and then spit it in your mouth. That's right. Lovely. <laughs> you're like, uh, you just lean back like a little baby bird. Also, zinc supplementation and alpha-lipoic acid. Mm -hmm. Electrogustometry is a word okay. <laughs> that I just said. Electrogustometry is frequently used to alleviate symptoms. It is the induction of gustatory sensations by means of an anodal electric direct current. All right. Okay. Everyone knows what that means. All right. It means sticking a battery in your mouth. Mm. Patients usually report sour or metallica sensations. Metallica sensations. The metallica sensations. Short straw has been told for you. <laughs> they, yeah, well, they do have a song called Disguise You, don't they? <laughs> That's uh, an album. Yeah, there you go. It was all in black, so you couldn't read it. That's right. Patients mm -hmm. usually report sour or metallic sensations similar to those associated with touching both poles of a live battery to the tongue. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. Everyone's done that. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine volt battery. Stick it in your mouth to see if it's uh, working still. Mm. <laughs> There's one do right it. there. Do, do it. it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Is it working? It no, I think it's dead. Oh. Metallic. It is recommended sufferers use non-metallic silverware, avoid metallic or bitter tasting foods, increasing the consumption of foods high in protein, flavor foods with spices and seasonings, mm -hmm. serve foods cold, frequently brush one's teeth and utilize mouthwash, uh -huh. chew sugar-free gum or sour tasting drops that stimulate the production of saliva. What kind of utensils are you going to use if you're not using metal one? Plastic, wooden, wooden. You know that. Use your hands. You know, that giant, the giant jump. fork and spoon that <laughs> for you the can find on walls. Bowl. Yeah, that like just that. becoming your regular utensil. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. Eat nothing but burritos and chicken wings. I'm just gonna have a spoonful of ice cream or just finger food, <laughs> like you say. Yeah, one spoonful. No, but you know what? It's like least, a big plastic ladle. You would feel like you're five years old all the time. That's true. Right? Everything's so big to me. <laughs> You'd be in a Tom Hanks movie all of a sudden. Come in. Well, 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 look who's here. I haven't seen you in many a year. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Baked a cake. Baked a cake. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. How'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band. Grand band in the land. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band. Grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. 
grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake, hired a band. Goodness sake, if I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Hot you do, hot you do, hot you do. Hot you do, hot you do, hot you do. Hot you do. Another taste disorder would be paragusia. Okay. Which that's is. That's when you have two of them at the same time. No, that's when you uh, keep yourself from falling too fast by opening your mouth up. Mm, that's when you try and fit two birds in your mouth at the same time. <laughs> uh, two birds with one mouth. Mm-hmm. The medical term oh, for that's a, an internet video I do not want to see. The medical term for a bad taste in the mouth. Okay. okay. All right. So paragusia is how we describe Kevin on this podcast. I definitely leave a taste. It's up to you yeah. whether you like it or not. And then lastly, hypergusia. Who knows what that is? Uh, that's when you're really excited about having a taste disorder. I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it means uh, uh, enhanced uh, sense of taste. Probably taste too dis- much. A taste disorder where the sense is abnormally heightened mm. can be oh. associated with a lesion of the posterior fossa um, and okay. Addison's disease. All right. Where a patient will crave for salty and sour taste due to the abnormal loss of ions in their urine. Oh, okay. So I don't have enough ions in my urine. Give me something sweet. And give salty. me something sour and salty. Give me a, give me that salty sour. All right, okay, I'll buy that. What? <laughs> Next we have oh more disorders. Yep. All right, a condition of the tongue. I'm not going to say what it is right away. All right, okay, you can tease, tease it. Tease it. All right, a bit. okay, all right. okay. A condition of the tongue where the filiform papillae elongate with discoloration due to growth of pigment producing bacteria and staining from food, giving Love a it. black and hairy appearance. What's that called? Black, hairy tongue. <laughs> wow. You know what? In a 1980s teen comedy, that would have been the comical Asian name to the Asian, the token Asian guy. Black, hairy tongue? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> so hold on a second. Well, he'd be, he'd be, part, he'd be part Korean, part African-American. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah. He'd be an Asian guy. His name's Hairy Tongue. Yeah. They call him Black, hairy tongue. Yeah. So let me get this straight. When I open, stick my tongue out, look in the mirror, and I see those little like bumps, those are- uh, Papillae. F- Papillae. Papillae. Full of form papillae. Sure. And I get a condition wherein those elongate so yeah. much. Yeah. And become they, discolored. And become discolored that they be, and they catch, they stain by food that passes over them. Yep. And it gives the appearance that I have hair on my tongue. Yes. We will put pictures on CosticSodaPodcast.com. Oh. <laughs> oh, it totally looks like you have hair on your tongue. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that at all. This I wonder is... what it's like to make out with a person with that. Extra sexy. Really? Man. It'd be like so well, many only, filaments. Only in that it feels dangerous. <laughs> That's right. Like oh, you're gonna yeah. catch it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this uh. is so exciting and risky. Oh, I this is distasteful. Yeah. I can't, I can't. I don't can't imagine sitting across a table from a person with this now, thing and watching them eat. Is this bad for you? Because it looks bad for you. The condition is typically asymptomatic, but sometimes people may experience a gagging sensation or a bad taste as well. There mm. may be an also an associated oral malodor. Right. Um, yeah. so, because so it catches like food bits and whatever. You got the stinky tongue, friend. All right. mm. So let me tell you, I recently bought one because I started noticing my tongue. Tongue scrapers are awesome. Yeah. You say, yeah, you stick your tongue out and go, oh, geez, where'd that come from? Mm. So then you scrape the shit out of it and it's gone. Okay. You just feel better about your mouth. I have right. no idea if it does anything good. You just feel better. Feeling better. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't look like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> let I mean, me I tell you. 
every little bit away from that is a success. Yeah. I mean, what is the, uh, what's the cure for this? Like, do they have little tongue lawnmowers or what do they do? Tongue scraper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little guy. Mm -hmm. Scrape that shit off, man. Your tongue regrows fast. It, it did. It, I mean, it does regrow a lot. Yeah. The cause is thought to be an accumulation of epithelial squams. Squames. Mm -hmm. Okay. And proliferation of chromogenic microorganisms. That's color producing. Uh-huh. Uh, many people with BHT. Uh, I think we got to acronym everything, don't Are we? heavy smokers. Other possible associated factors are poor oral hygiene. Not enough scraping. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. For sure. General debilitation. Hyposalivation. Oh, That's, too much saliva. No, that would be hypersalivation. Oh. Hypo is decreased salivation. Oh, uh, okay. So your your pap your your papillates start reaching for moisture yeah. or something <laughs> that is Give like it, baby. Oh, please. We want to reach the roof of the mouth. Yeah. Raise the roof. <laughs> Ray that's what they're doing. Yeah. Papillae. Yeah. <laughs> Give us some food so we can do what is some saliva. Some, anything. Uh, crowd surfing. Yeah. Anything. With that P. <laughs> P E A. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Radiotherapy. Overgrowth of fungal or bacterial organisms. Occasionally, BHT may be caused by the use of antimicrobial medications, e.g. tetracyclines, or oxidizing mouthwashs or antacids. Oh, so mouthwash can become a, a problem. Okay. A soft diet may be a contributing factor, as food has an abrasive action on the tongue, which keeps the filiform papillae short. It's like a beaver and a... Uh, and, 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 chewing and a tree. Chewing a tree. Keep the teeth short. Yeah. T-shirt, yeah. All right. So if you're, eating short, if you're eating soft food, then get a tongue scraper. Yeah, so get, eat some sharp foods. You want some... Some, like sharp uh, foods, like rough, dice, uh, like uh, gravel. eight-sided dice. They're really sharp. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Just eat those. Some gravel. Roll it around in your mouth for a uh -huh. while. Yeah, oh, I gotta keep my papillae. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good for the teeth too. I just think, watch maybe. out for those critical hits. Yeah, yeah. Generally, direct measures to return the tongue to its normal appearance involve scraping or brushing the tongue before sleep. Keratolytic agents, chemicals to remove keratin, such as blah blah blah, are successful, but carry safety concerns. Uh huh. Other reported successful measures include sodium bicarbonate mouth rinses, eating pineapple. Oh, hmm. huh. Sucking on a peach stone and chewing gum. Oh, okay. there you go. Sharp, sharp gum. They seem very simple solutions. It kind of comes to the, like, why would anybody let it get to where this is Black at? hairy tongue. Black hairy tongue. Probably because they don't look in the mirror at their tongue. <laughs> like, you, you know, it's in your mouth. How often do you stick your tongue out and look at it? I'm Most people probably do once in a while, but these people tongue, don't. Kevin. Okay, I do, it. I do it every day. Let me see your tongue, Kevin. Oh, you got the black hairy tongue. Oh, it looks good. I, I know for a fact that I do not. You're confusing my beard with my inside oh, of my sorry. mouth. Yes, sorry, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking slightly lower. It's, yeah. uh, it's brown hairy face. Mm -hmm. Burning mouth syndrome. Oh my God, my mouth is on fire. A burning sensation in the mouth where no underlying dental or medical cause can be identified and no oral signs are found. It might be that flame, though. It might be the flame. BMS oh. is considered an example of dysesthesia or a distortion of sensation. Okay. Oh. All right. So there's no flame. You just feel like there's uh -huh. flame. I mean, sometimes when I'm uh, on a roll, I feel like my mouth is on fire, like I'm burning up the microphone here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Three uh -huh. types of BMS have been observed. Type okay. one, mm. symptoms not present upon waking and then increase through the day. Okay. Okay. Type two, symptoms upon waking and through the day. Okay. That type sounds like the worst one. Type three. No regular pattern of symptoms. You just get them whenever. Anything's, anything just goes with type All of a sudden, three. you're just like yep. totally normal, then burning. Yep. Ah, burning. One and two have unremitting symptoms, whereas type three may show remitting symptoms. The condition is associated with a bunch of crazy words I don't want to pronounce. <laughs> Thirst, headaches, chronic back pain, irritable bowel syndrome. Oh. 
Uh, globus pharyngus. I did want to say that one. <laughs> <laughs> Anxiety, decreased appetite, depression, and personality disorders. Right. Oh, oh. personality disorders affect your uh, your burning your mother your mouth burns or not? Sure. Possible exacerbating factors include tension, fatigue, speaking, always a problem. Oh, oh, and hot, well, acidic, or spicy foods. Okay. Right? But yeah, you know, you. Th- I would so think that actually if my mouth heat. was burning. Mm-hmm. If my mouth was burning, like it felt like it was burning. Well, I guess I, I would, you might want to fight fire with fire. Yeah, I thought for a second <laughs> when he was talking about. It, I thought for a second I'm like, you know, what? I'd throw some peppers in there, crunch down some jalapenos. Like, yeah, like uh, you uh, know, is that the worst you got? Yeah, I got actual hot spiciness. Yeah. I'm gonna show you BMS. Oh God, this is exacerbating. <laughs> yeah, but this then I started is thinking about it, it worse. After it came out of my mouth, I went, oh, hold on a sec. That's probably not what I would do. Actually, no. I'd be trying ice cream and uh, ice cubes and. Uh, uh, beer. You'd probably just get really drunk. I'll tell so you the. I'll it. tell you the possible relieving factors. Okay. okay. Sleeping. Oh, sure. Joe's in. Done. Cold. Uh-huh. Okay. Distraction. So I'll just smash you on the foot. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, the classic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, this broken toe will take your mind off your. <laughs> you yeah, think your mouth, mouth is burning? Wait till I hit you with my uh, in the bread basket. Yeah. And alcohol. Right. Oh, yeah. Which, no wonder I don't have burning mouth syndrome. Which normally helps with both sleeping and distraction. Mm. Yeah. On its own. It's a, uh, it's a trifecta. Right. And yes. another thing. <laughs> and if you do it like in a freezer, yeah. then you go, you're covering all your bases. <laughs> and uh, other possible right. solutions. I love humanisms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Several theories of what causes BMS have been proposed, and these are supported by varying degrees of evidence. Okay. But none is proven. All right. Okay. Oh, okay. So we actually don't know what causes burning mouth syndrome? None is proven. Okay. All right. As most people with BMS are postmenopausal women... One oh. theory of the cause of BMS is of estrogen or progesterone deficit. So this is basically just a super, super concentrated, focused hot flash. Possibly. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. You can have an overall body hot flash. Oh, there's a lesser of two evils for postmenopausal ladies. Would you rather have a mouth hot flash or your whole body hot flash? I, can't, I wouldn't even know Where how to, to start? compare. Yeah. yeah. Another theory is that BMS is related to autoimmunity. Okay. BMS is also more common in persons with Parkinson's disease. So it has been oh. suggested that it is a disorder of reduced pain threshold and increased sensitivity. So if okay. you have, if you're a postmenopausal lady with Parkinson's, you're pretty much guaranteed to get it. That's what you're saying here, Torn. Yes. Medi- in your medical yes. opinion. You got BMS coming at you. Everybody who has Parkinson's and is a postmenopausal lady is going to get BMS. BMS has been traditionally treated with antidepressants, anxiolytics, and anticonvulsants. Two-thirds of people with BMS have a spontaneous partial recovery six to seven years what? after the initial onset. Wow. Six to seven years of a burning mouth. But so in the rest of the condition, it is permanent. So but so you got a 66% chance of, uh, you know, in a mere six or seven years, the whole thing just going away. Yeah, but a third of the people have it forever. Burning wow. mouth sensation. Oh, okay. So they always have to be in a freezer, sleeping, drinking alcohol, and being distracted. Right. All right. Well, look over here. Look not, over here. Look over here. It's not such a bad life. No. This kind of reminds me of uh, what I'd like to talk about. Uh-huh. Super tasters. Super taster. <laughs> it does sound like an educational cartoon from like 1987, doesn't it? It's like <laughs> It was right after Schoolhouse Rocks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> precisely. It was uh, the Super Friends followed by Schoolhouse Rocks. Followed by Super Tasters and then Electric Company. Help me, Super Tasters. This man is going to take all my money unless I can tell if this is sweet or sour. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what do you need to be a super taster? Well, scientists now know that not all people experience taste in the same way. The more taste buds you have, the more intensely you perceive tastes, especially bitter ones. People who are particularly sensitive are called super tasters. Okay. They have up to twice as many taste buds as the rest of us. Which I guess could mean that they just didn't lose them by the time they're 20. I don't know. Right. Or uh, they had twice as many even as kids, and they lost yeah, and half, they lost and they half, still and have twice, twice as many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to have to find that out. Well, Ta- I, saw this, I saw this BBC documentary where they were like talking about super tasters, mm-hmm. and what they did to figure out who was and wasn't, they painted everybody's tongues blue, right. and then mashed a piece of glass up against their tongues, and then like literally took a photo of it, and then sat there and oh, they didn't counted. Make, they didn't make them hold perfectly still while I count your papillae. <laughs> yeah. Do not move. You're moving. Yeah. But they showed the picture. Pictures, uh, like the photographs of the non-taster and the super taster tongue right next to each mm-hmm. other and it was like one had like it was like flat and then a bump and then flat and then a bump and the other one was just like it looked like a freaking the Ural uh, Mountains yeah or, or no more like a um like shag carpeting okay <laughs> like it's just like nice. pff, there was no space in between I can taste through together. time yeah <laughs> that was the worst X-Men ever super taster <laughs> hey Wolverine uh, need some help no good Taste researchers divide people into three groups, non-tasters, medium tasters, and super tasters. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that around 25% of people are said to be non-tasters. Oh. That is so terrible for them. Mm. 25% super tasters and 50% medium tasters. Uh, it's probably a bell curve. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's not that you're definitely this or definitely that. It's just probably spread out into this, and they just yeah. arbitrarily go, this top 25% yeah. is no, super tasters. How many papillets do I have to have to be a super taster? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. These numbers can vary depending on sex and ethnicity. Women are more likely to be super tasters, and so are people from Asia, Africa, and South America. Now, oh. what if I remember? <laughs> what? <laughs> remember on our, I don't know if it was a deformity or one of our follow-ups, uh-huh. there was that guy with a super big tongue. He had the oh. tongue that was like, he couldn't close oh, his mouth that's because right. is okay. he a super taster just from the fact that his, his, giant his tongue. tongue is so big? It's not that he has an extraordinary amount well, of papillae. It's just that they're spread over a large area. I think I think it's about numbers of papillae. You'd I think, probably uh, be less, actually, because right, it would because be spread less, out. If you, yeah. I have a piece of mango yeah. or a regular piece. And it only touches, person, it touches, it only touches like a whole, one. Yeah. You have to rub it over like a <laughs> seven-inch square <laughs> area <laughs> just to hit one papillae. Yeah, right? and also it would be all dry because it's stuck out of his mouth. So oh, yeah. It be, yeah. 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 No, but his papillae are probably like the size of tennis balls, right? That's so right. Like you just, you just put, can't taste it, can't take, taste it. Lemon! <laughs> yeah, take an orange like run it over it like a juicer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Juicing with your taste bud. <laughs> Whether you're a non-taster or super taster or somewhere in between depends on your sensitivity to a bitter chemical called 6-N-propylthiouracil. You bet. Or prop. Oh, that's much easier to say. Yeah. Props. Non-tasters can't taste the bitterness of prop at all. Medium tasters sense the bitterness but don't mind it, while super tasters find the taste of prop revolting. Hmm. So yeah. we'll have to get some prop and uh, test ourselves I out. saw, again, this BBC documentary. There's this taste researcher. She's going on. She had like uh, little um, paper uh, discs mm. that were soaked in prop. And she would just right. like walk up to people and say, hey, put this on your tongue. And then one guy put it on his tongue and was like, tastes like paper. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And he gave it to this girl and the girl like took the very tip of it and touched her touch her whole face squished right up. So, <laughs> ah! so then she's like, you're mm. not a taster, you're a super taster. Now I wonder if that does, if that, it does go along what I said, like bell curve, that there are people who kind of dislike it or mm-hmm. if just... You hit a certain point and hate it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They they probably they have a line in the sand, certainly with the number of, they would say anybody with this number of papillae or above, yeah. and the numbers will vary. Oh, but. I almost made the cut. Yeah. I yeah, was yeah. one papillae short. Yeah, you could be that one percentile away from getting into law school or taster school.
Well, I want to talk about how colors affect taste. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Do you taste with your eyeballs? Yeah, you taste a little bit with your eyeballs. You really do. Okay. Tell me all about that. Popular theory is that we're attracted to I know I taste with my eyeballs when I'm uh, uh, cutting an onion. (laughs) That's not tasting with your eyeballs. That's a different sensation. What about when I rub M&Ms in there? (laughs) (laughs) Mm, M&Ms. Just the green ones because they match. Unless you have papillae on your eyeballs. (laughs) Unless you have papillae on your eyeballs, you're not tasting. Some theorize that humans are attracted to red food because it signals ripeness, sweetness, and calories. Um, The findings of a German study found that its subject rated wine 50% sweeter if drunk under red light rather than under blue or white light. Interesting. Mm. So same wine ranked higher on sweetness just by the changing of the light. Uh, There's also a powerfully aversive effect of color on food, even if the subject is told it's perfectly safe. If people eat a steak that was dyed blue in the dark, no problems. However, Dr. Spence, a clinical psychologist, did an experiment where he started them in the dark right. and then mid-steak turned the lights on. Right. Uh, and this is uh, his quote. Uh, what do you think Dr. Spence from Oxford University would sound like? I just wanted to have people eating steak in the dark. It's a thing I like. <laughs> that's, that's his reaction? Yeah. What are you going to do? I wanted to do it. What does he sound like? Yeah. He sounds, oh. what's his name? Uh, Dr. Spence. Dr. Spence. Dr. Spence. <laughs> sure, he sounds like Grover. So they think it's normal, then you turn the lights up and show them the color, some will get up and be sick straight away. Oh, like they actually vomit? Yeah. So, nice. they're, so they're eating a steak. Oh, I eating a steak. Eating a steak. Oh, this taste is, the steak is so good. Mmm, yummy. And then the, you're lights eating in the dark, up. and then you turn the lights on, you look down, and it's the color blue. It's like and, Star Trek food. And you get up and you vomit. Nice. That, that is a common reaction. Wow. And then you have to eat your own vomit in a red light. Oh, and nice. it tastes it's like, good. Oh, it tastes sweet. Great. Yeah, it's fine. Well, this, this tastes it just, like steak. It still tastes like vomit. It just tastes fifty percent sweeter. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Uh, in two thousand and one, fifty-four students at the University of Bordeaux. So they got to be oh, wine snobs, right? Yeah. Got to be wine snobs. Uh, described a red wine that they were given with terms such as chicory, coal, prune, chocolate, and tobacco. However, that red wine was actually white wine that had been dyed red, and they had tried the white <laughs> wine. They actually drank that same white wine earlier right. and used terms as uh, honey, lemon, lychee, and straw. Right. Wow. So they yeah. took the same wine, changed the color of it, and uh, it evoked an entirely different taste. I do remember that episode of Bullshit where they had some, they took they went to a very fancy restaurant and they served that couple uh, like like spam and all this other mm-hmm. really uh, crappy you know craft dinner yeah. type foods yeah. mm-hmm. and they're like ooh it's so wonderful it has a bouquet and all this kind of stuff like yeah. that yeah, yeah yeah so definitely power suggestion well I mean then this is t- coming up actually uh, the next thing I was going to talk about which is packaging uh, is part of the uh, the the alteration of taste mm-hmm. to us. Um, Dr. Spence uh, has also uh, done an experiment where he tricked people into confusing salt and vinegar potato chips with cheese and onion potato chips merely by switching the packaging. Right. Many of our subjects will taste the color of the crisp packet and not the crisp itself. Right. I, do you ever get that where you think you're eating something and you get something completely different and your brain maybe doesn't go, this is this other flavor, but goes, this is not the flavor I want, but you can't figure out what it is? Because you didn't read it right? Because I get that. I don't taste... For example, I reach into a bag of chips and I'm expecting salt and vinegar and it mm-hmm. comes out barbecue. I don't go, oh, this is barbecue. 
because I don't recognize it, but my brain does go, this is not what you expected. This is but not I salt sit and there vinegar. Going, right. What, what the heck is it? What, what yeah, flavor is this? Yeah, why am I not saying salt and vinegar? Until I actually see the bag. Now I want to come over to your house and switch all the chips and all the bags that you have all over There's your house. There's none. Man, if I keep chips, if I ever have chips in my house, they don't last. Gone so I never seconds. buy them. <clears throat> Unfortunately, many companies are now aware of this. Yeah. So you have sweets such as Smarties and M&M's. The reason that they come in multiple colors is because people eat more of them that way. Right. People will eat more from a mixed bowl of mixed colors than they will from a bowl full of their favorite color alone. Yeah. That is interesting. Because you're like craving like variety. So just yep. you're giving yourself the sensation of variety just by changing the color. Of yeah. It. This is the same reason I buy those uh, cups full of uh, variety of gummies rather than just getting all Swedish berries. Ah, I see. That's a good plan. Uh-huh. Because uh, then you'll eat more and that's good for you. That's what I want. <laughs> that's why I spent the three bucks. <laughs> A recent study from Cornell University shows that you'll eat more if the food color matches the plate that it's served on, while a direct contrast has the opposite effect. So white food on black plate, you eat less food. White food on white plate, you eat more food. I'm going to buy some black plates. Oh. I like rice, but you know. Yeah, tricking It's pretty easy to eat a huge plate of rice. I'm going to buy some rainbow plates. Oh, wow. Fuck everything up. Everything. (laughs) No, but then everything will be the right color. Oh. Maybe, and then you'll eat more of everything. Mm. Maybe you'll just Backfire. become a huge My Little Pony fan. I'm going to get clear plates. <laughs> oh, so you see your table in So it looks it? like you're eating off the floor? Oh. I think so. Yeah, yes. that's that, a, that sounds unappetizing. Yeah. My, my entire house will be made of uh, <laughs> transparent material. <laughs> Has anybody heard of phenylthiocarbamide? I've heard of phenyl. You just said, the, said it just now, so yes. Uh-huh. Uh, do you know what it is? Phenylthiocarbamide? Mm-hmm. Nope. Phenylthiocarbamide, or PTC, right. has the unusual property that it either tastes very bitter or is virtually tasteless, depending on the genetic makeup of the taster. Okay. The ability to taste PTC is a dominant genetic trait, and the test to determine PTC sensitivity is one of the earliest used genetic tests on humans. Oh. About 70% of people can taste PTC, varying from a low of 58% for indigenous peoples of Australia and New Guinea to 98% for indigenous peoples of the Americas. Hmm. PTC does not occur in food, but related chemicals do, and food choices related to a person's ability to taste PTC. The genetic taste phenomenon of PTC was discovered in 1931 when a DuPont chemist named Arthur Fox accidentally released a cloud of fine crystalline PTC. <laughs> Oops. I, Guys. If you work for DuPont, you don't want to accidentally release a cloud of fine anything. Yeah. But he did, and a nearby colleague complained about the bitter taste in the air, while Fox, who was closer and should have received a stronger dose, tasted nothing. Oh, he who smelted dealt it. <laughs> in this case, it's not true. Uh, Fox then continued to test the taste buds of assorted family and friends, setting the groundwork for future genetic studies. Let me release a, a cloud of fine crystalline PTC by you and let me and then see what reaction. happens. Uh, the genetic correlation was so strong that it began to be used in paternity tests before the advent of DNA matching. Right. Yeah. Uh, some chimpanzees share the ability to taste PTC. However, chimpanzee PTC tasting relies on a different taste receptor than human tasting, mm. suggesting the ability evolved independently in both species. Uh. PTC also inhibits melanogenesis and is used to grow transparent fish. I don't know what melanogenesis is. Um, Well, melanin is the color in your pigment in your skin. Okay. Uh, So melanogenesis is probably, you know, when you're being created, uh, you are getting uh, a color in your skin. Melanogenesis is, yeah, creating melanin. Because if you inhibit melanogenesis, you can grow transparent fish. Yes, I will do that. 
I don't know why we want transparent fish. No, doesn't that doesn't that play into the whole uh, color of your food thing? Maybe you look at a, look at a fish and see all its insides. Maybe Arthur Fox uh, accidentally released a cloud of fine crystal and PTC around a fish, and they went, "Hey, see through fish." Although, Maybe it's like a scam at fancy restaurants. Well, here's your fish. <laughs> uh, we've, uh, we've died. It's just an empty plate. We've no, in, it's uh, we've inhibited its melanogenesis. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Although That's I right. guess uh, transparent fish would be good for science. You could see all the workings. Oh, inside and be like, oh, good for science. Yeah. Why did I think of that? Oh, because I never think of science. Yeah, screw science. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that will. When the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while eating morphine-laced Oreos. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast, or email us at info at causticpodcast.com. I'm Sean Campbell. Thanks for listening. Knock, knock, who's there? Banana. Knock, knock, who's there? Banana. Knock, knock, who's there? Banana. Knock, knock, who's there? Orange. Orange who? Orange, you glad I didn't say banana? It's a dumb kid's joke, but it's... I have never heard it before. Oh, it's not a good joke, but it's uh, well-known. Not well-known. I don't know it. Well, it was used to teach kids what bad jokes are so they don't do them anymore, so (laughs) that makes sense.